0: Hey, a friend of mine said this the other day, and I think it's encouraging to you, certainly is encouraging to me, that the antidote to fear is faith or trust. The antidote to worry is worship. The antidote to panic is praise. And the antidote or the solution to confusion is Christ. And so what we want to do continually as God's people and exemplify this to other people is to have the eyes of our heart ever-present and continually on the person and the work and the character and the promises of jesus Hey, my name is nate i serve as a husband dad and pastor alongside and under our lead pastor larry riley and i serve full-time with the north american mission board and we are continuing in our series engage with god a series on prayer and this morning we're looking at a cause of prayer when you think about the the word cause the, the motivation what What is going on in a person's life that brings about prayer? And as as you've been here on Sunday mornings the last several weeks with Pastor Larry and Pastor Ryan, and even on Wednesday nights, we've been defining prayer like this. Prayer is a cry for relationship and a commitment of dependence, a commitment of reliance, not upon ourselves, but upon Him. So this morning we are in Psalm 63, talking about a cause of Prayer. And the big idea, if you will, the main point that I want to convey to you, if there's one thing that I want you to walk away from, it is this. That spiritual awareness leads to deficiency, which leads to dependence. When you understand who you are, that we are finite creatures that cannot definitively and ultimately uh, guarantee what's going to happen in the next hour or tomorrow, and you understand our smallness in light of God's bigness, It leads to a deficiency, not that we're marginalized or not valuable because we are, but we understand our place in the world, a place in the universe, God's universe. And that should lead to and should usher us and compel us to have dependence upon the Father. And what we want to do for the next several minutes, what I want to do from Psalm 63, is talk about how our functional theology needs to reflect our confessional theology. Our functional theology needs to reflect our confessional theology. You've probably struggled with this, I have. We will talk about the fact that God is in control and he's good and he's sovereign. He's on his throne, we'll say. And yet what happens oftentimes in our lives is that we, we worry. We're anxious. Uh, you'll have people talk about, hey, we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. We're to be grace people. But when you talk to them, they're harsh and they're critical and they're mean-spirited and it doesn't come across as gracious and merciful. So what we want, we want our functional theology, how we live and play and what we do and how we behave and how we interact and respond and speak. We want that to be reflective of what we confess with our lips. So Psalm 63, as is my custom when I preach, I'd love for you to stand as we read the Bible together. I'm just going to read several verses for us from Psalm 63. So either on your copy of God's Word or on your phone, Psalm 63. to you and to me, may God bless the preaching of it, the reading of it, and the listening of it. Let me give you a little bit of background to Psalm 63. Uh, the background is found in 2 Samuel chapter 15 through 19, and this is a psalm that is an outpouring of devotion. If you remember that the psalms are really the the hymn book, the hymnal, if you will, of God's chosen people, the people of Israel, where they would sing back to God written down in order to sing back to God. So this is a a song of praise, of adoration to God in the midst of some very trying, troubling circumstances in David's life. And I think that's the case in terms of many people's lives today, particularly our world. These are intriguing, strange, even eerie times. You might be anxious. You might be worrisome. You might be thinking about the uncertainty of tomorrow or next week. We've had school closures. We've had churches that are live streaming. Some churches are meeting. Even now we're recording the sermons for your good uh, for tomorrow morning as we're going to have different gathering times as a church family. You have universities closing. You have uh, deaths around the world. The, the economic global impact is unprecedented. And so there's a time potentially of fear and anxiety. So what are, is our response as God's people? as a a local body of believers, Graceland Baptist Church and friends that are undoubtedly listening to this and guests, what, what should we do? What should our response be? We want to go to God's word. That is a stability in our lives that's calming as we listen and read and hear about God's character and God's ways and God's promises. And here in Psalm 63, again, the background is 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 19. And David is in the wilderness. Absalom, his son, has Um, rebelliously sought to usurp David's kingship and throne. And the Bible says that he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He turned them against David. Absalom sent out secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel to say, Absalom is king in Hebron as soon as they heard the trumpet. And as soon as the trumpet was blasted, the conspiracy gained strength And his fellowship kept increasing. And David is thinking about all these things that have transpired in his life. And he announces to his entire household that my son, my own flesh and blood, is not only seeking to usurp the throne, but is seeking my life, wants to murder me. And he was forced to go into the wilderness of Judah. But he never allowed himself to be overtaken by grief, doubt, and abandonment. David's psalm is a psalm of praise in the midst of troubling, anxious, fearful circumstances. And it reminds us that God is man's ultimate need. We must be his, as one theologian said, without reservation. The totality of our lives are his. So three truths I want to share with you from Psalm 63. And the first is to seek after God. We see this in the first part of Psalm 63 in verses 1 through 4, to seek after God he says that oh God you are my God it's a statement of possession it's not a a mere fact of who God is that God is God and that's certainly true but David says God you are my God and I earnestly seek after you despite the sense of isolation that David is experiencing in his life and his family that is experiencing. He is committed to his relationship with the Lord. And in a dry and weary land, it prompts him to think of his thirst and his passion for God and hardships, difficulties, times of uncertainty point us to the sufficiency and the stability and the character and the promises of God. And certainly in this time, we want to prompt our hearts and move our hearts to be focused upon God. You might not be struggling with that, but there is certainly friends and Neighbors and family members that need a calming presence in their life. And you can be that. You can be that fragrance as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. The word he uses to describe the imagery of a parched traveler desperately looking for water is that of earnestly and thirsting and longing for it. It's the idea of this intense, focused, earnest search. God, I want to seek after you. So as we think about spiritual awareness leading to deficiency, which leads to dependence, we understand as believers, we should be seeking after God. A cause of prayer is that in our lives with difficulties and uncertainty and times of anxiety and worry, we want to be people who pray. We want to be people who seek after God, a cry for relationship and a commitment of dependence. So are you seeking after God? Are you pursuing Him? Is that... uh, evidenced in your life as you spend time thinking and pursuing and reading and talking to Him and listening to Him as He has communicated to us in His Word. So first, seek after God. Secondly, our satisfaction is found in God, we see in verses 5 through 8. He says, your love is better than life. At times when our circumstances are going well, There's an overconfidence at times in in what we're doing and what we're bringing about in our life. And God's love is an abstraction. It's not something tangible. And maybe it might not be that sustaining presence of comfort in your life. Despair can set in, discouragement can set in. And you don't see God's love, again, as an abstraction. But we want to see God's love as something that sustains us. There's this presence in our lives. He says, your love is better than life. And so we find our satisfaction in God and his ways and his character. There's a lot of things that I find satisfaction in. I love a morning where I can sleep in. My kids would potentially, hopefully, a miracle of God, sleep in and read a book and be with friends and uh, watch the NCAA, which is obviously not happening this year due to the cancellation. And there's lots of things that bring satisfaction in my life. And those things are good and right and appropriate. But all of them are, but what C.S. Lewis said, a shadow, a shadow of the ultimate, abiding, deep fulfillment that is found in Jesus. So often we are, like C.S. Lewis said in another place, people who long to just play in the mud. When what we're promised in Jesus is a glorious, majestic holiday by the sea, our satisfaction is found in God. David writes that he will praise God as long as he lives. He'll lift up his hands. The lifting up of hands was an indication of expressing worship. I don't have to lift up my hands to worship God. I can worship God right where I am in the quietness of my heart without saying anything. And there can be worship. But there are times, is there not? There are times where my hands cannot stay by my side. And I lift up my hands in adoration and praise and expression of worship to my God. It signifies surrender to a higher authority. It signifies utter vulnerability and it signifies dependence upon God. A cause of prayer, our spiritual awareness leads to an understanding that we are finite beings and we need him. We need him. And so we want to be dependent upon God. And what yet what does he say in the latter part of verses 6 and 7 and 8 he says Through the watches of the night. And he's remembering God while on my bed or through the watches of the night. It means that David is not calmly sleeping. He's awake. He's worrying. He's anxious. He's a little fearful. Does it sound and maybe possibly resonate with maybe not you but a friend? A neighbor? Our culture? Fear? Anxiety? He's wakefully worrying and yet... In the midst of this tension, David recalls the vision of God's enduring, committed love and it sustains him. In the midst of his son wanting to usurp the throne, in the midst of David being on the run with his family, in the midst of his own flesh and blood wanting to murder him, God's love sustains him and he remembers him in the night. So for those of you who are struggling, with a good night's rest and peace and calmness and harmony in those moments sometimes the worst thing to say is don't worry don't be anxious but let me meet you where your anxiety is let me meet you where your worry is let me meet you where your depression is let me meet you where your troubling heart is and remember God's sustaining love he will satisfy us in those moments and and if you're going through something it's gone through the sovereign hands of our good God and he will also give you the means by which to endure and sustain you in the midst of that Our satisfaction is found in God. He says, he's my help. He looks to how unfailingly God has helped him in the past, and the past becomes for him a word about the future. Think about that. Let me read it one more time. He looks to how unfailingly God has helped him in the past, and the past becomes for him a word, a prophetic word about the future. So no matter how long it is, Lord, no matter what hardships come into my life, no matter what obstacle, circumstance, I'm going to press forward because you're my satisfaction. I'm going to seek after you. Thirdly, our security is found in God, as David writes in verses 9 through 11. Security, something that we probably think a lot of these days, maybe not with that actual word security, stability, peace, hope. Our security, our hope, our peace is not in retirement. Probably in the last couple of weeks, your stock portfolio, your mutual funds, your 4013 has probably taken a little bit of a hit, maybe a big hit. And you might be at an age that you might be able to recoup that, but you might be at an age that you can't recoup the, that financial loss. Our security is not in the stability of a family. Some of you have lost family this past year. Our security is not in health. Some of you have had a a diagnosis that's less than encouraging. Some of you have lost someone. Some of you right now are going through difficulty with your physical and maybe even mental health. Our security is not in a relationship. It's not in our children. It's not in circumstances that are easy. It's not in health. and It's not in government, and on and on and on. Our security must be found in something that is resolute Unshakable, unflinching. And that's the foundation that we have in Jesus Christ. The way David writes these last verses, it's almost as if he's already experienced the victory, though he's speaking about the future. And there is this every there's this reason to believe that though he has escaped difficulties, and was probably experiencing peace and prosperity, he's expressing what he actually felt at a critical moment in his life, when he was in imminent danger. He speaks prophetically about the victory that he will experience. He rejoices in God's deliverance. He's citing God's faithfulness in the midst of circumstance that undoubtedly brought fear and anxiety and worry. We're emotional beings and we go through those things. We want to point and move our heart to find security in God, not in our circumstances, because they ebb and flow, do they not? Health and wealth and relationships and government and the inner workings of our own heart, they ebb and flow. But here's one thing that is sure and fundamental and foundational and concrete. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. He will not change. He's the the same yesterday and today and forevermore, as the writer of Hebrews tells us. And despite the enemies that surround David, despite those that are aspiring to take his life, David exclaims, God, you will protect me. His security was found in God. And look at what he says in verse 11. The king will rejoice and all those that swear by his name. What does that mean, that phrase, those who swear by his name, the name of the Lord? In general, it's speaking about those that are servants of God. Well, who's a servant? A servant of God is someone who's come to believe and trust and see their need for God. A cause of prayer is that we need and see our need, and our dependence. A servant of God is someone who comes to see their need for God, specifically the provision and the plan and the protection that is provided for us in God's Son, Jesus. This goodness, this security and hope shown to David is something that affects the whole body of the faithful. The security and safety of God's chosen people at that particular time was inseparably connected with the reign of David and the prosperity that God showed David, the king. I want you to think about the correlation today. Think about that. The security and safety of God's people is inextricably tied to the reign of David and the prosperity. What's the correlation today? As people who live on the other side of Revelation, we have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament. Is it not true that our safety, both in the here and now, and our security is inseparably tied to our risen King, the safest place to be, the place with the most security, is not found in our circumstance, but found in the risen King, Jesus Christ. Now we're tempted, as I close this morning, we're tempted at times, as one theologian said, by the slightest trial or hardship or discouragement or diagnosis or prognosis or news announcement. We're we're tempted by the slightest trial, big trial or even Small trial, to lose the comfort of the knowledge of God, but we should learn from David's example to struggle to maintain our confidence in God under the worst troubles that should befall us. Let me close with this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. Listen to what Paul writes. Circumstances that are difficult, troubling and hard spiritual awareness that leads to deficiency We're finite beings that need to exemplify dependence upon God, a cause of prayer as we cry out in relationship and dependence upon Him. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested, exemplified, exuded in our bodies and our lives and our marriages and our relationships and our vocations and our ministries and our church life that we're persecuted but not struck down and on and on and on. So let me personalize this for a moment. I'm afflicted in every way, but not crushed. I'm perplexed but I'm not driven to despair. I'm persecuted, but I am not forsaken. I'm struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in me the death of Christ, the good news of Christ in my life, so that Jesus might be exemplified and magnified in my life. So what do we do as believers? We want to seek after God. We want to find our satisfaction in God. And we want to find our security in God, a cause of prayer, that we are dependent, finite beings, upon the one who does not change. I hope that encourages and challenges you and refreshes you as you point your heart to the truth and unshakable foundation found in Jesus Christ, our Savior and King. Take care.